Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. Hub24 is on a mission to empower advisors to deliver better financial futures for their clients. They're dedicated to customer service excellence and delivering innovative product solutions that create value for advisors and their clients. These are just some of the reasons why advisors rate them number one for overall satisfaction and why their managed portfolio solution has been rated best in market five years running. Hub24 believes nothing happens in isolation. So they're working together with advisors, licensees, and industry leaders to leverage their data and technology expertise to help solve key challenges in the delivery of financial advice so more Australians can access cost-effective advice. Welcome back to the XY Advisor Podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and today I'm talking to Rob Jones from Peloton Partners. G'day, Rob. Hey, Fraser. How are you? And thanks for having me on. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Now, uh, let's give the listeners a quick overview of Peloton Partners. Thanks, Fraser. Yeah, Peloton, we're a, a consulting business effectively to financial planning um, companies, large and small. So single advice practices through to um, large, very large practices, multidisciplinary practices, and, and we help them focus on their pricing frameworks and and pricing advice correctly. Fantastic. Now, now let's get into the Rob part. Tell us about Rob. Where, how did Rob get into the uh, into this position or financial advice, financial services? It's a little bit different, Fraser. To be to be uh, truthful with you, so I, I started my career. I started commerce at uni, way way back in the day. Um, and after I think I was in second year or third year, I can't remember now, but I broke my leg quite severely, and I ended up having to do a lot of rehab in hospital and and uh, I started living with a mate of mine who was a policeman in Victoria um, and as I was rehabbing and having to do a bucket load of, of work to re- rehabilitate, I did well at uni so I was able to defer and all that type of stuff but I, I had to get my leg back uh, under control and in doing so, living with this guy and seeing how excited he was to go to work every day and, and loved what he was doing, I thought, gee, that sounds interesting and because I had to do a lot of training, I thought, well, why don't I give it a go, a very odd thing. Um, and, and so I did. So that was back in 1990, 1991, sorry. And I spent 10 years uh, with Victoria Police and loved every minute of it. I did um, general duties like everyone does, so uniform um, out there on the streets doing what police do. Uh, I also did some undercover work for a little while. I did plainclothes work and then I uh, transitioned to a detective and um, spent a few years um, catching some genuinely good uh can I say clients or crooks? I mean, I talk about my clients these days, Fraser, but back then they were my clients or customers. Um, and, yeah, so I spent 10 years uh, doing that, absolutely loved it and uh, never planned to leave actually because I'd, I'd hit my mark of wanting to be a detective and then um, enjoying what I was doing, but I bumped into a fellow who owned a financial planning business and he was actually ex-SAS. So he was in the SAS in Australia and so it was a bizarre thing because it was by accident that we came together and we got to know each other a little bit and he said uh, I had, didn't have a family at the time. He did and he said, hey, listen, I could really do with someone with your sort of organisational skills and capability. I've got a small financial planning practice. We've got 
you know, nine staff here in Melbourne um, and he invited me to come on board, whatever that meant, as a general manager. I had no idea. Uh, even though I studied commerce, I didn't understand financial planning at all, had no idea about superannuation, et cetera, et cetera. But I took a leap of faith. I could always go back into the force. That's the nature of the beast. They'd take you back in a heartbeat. But true to my nature, I decided once I left, that was that was it. I was going to focus on something and, and give my heart and soul. And I'm really glad, and it's been 20, 20 years to the day that I joined effectively uh, or left the force and joined a, a small financial planning practice. And, um, yeah, that, that sort of transition was challenging at the time. But, you know, a lot of people have asked, well, how, how do you do that? And it's funny because I, I've always been okay at making decisions. That's the nature of the beast, under pressure, under stress, um, making effective decisions with limited amount of information, managing risks like, when we talk about risks in a financial planning sense, but the risks I had to deal with were environmental, um, legislative, regulatory, um, evidentiary, you name it, um, forensic, um, a whole series of risks. So for us, risk management in the force was something very, very significant uh, because lives were at stake. And I remember the last job I ever did before I left, literally weeks before I started in financial planning, I, I had a team of, and I was only a young fellow, 28 at the time, I had a team of hundred and. 27 police and I was raiding 30 properties simultaneously and the organisation for that is extensive and it was a big criminal network we were sweeping up and then I walked into a small financial planning office <laughs> and I had to, deal with, had to deal with a workflow issue on the first day and a couple of staff not, not getting along with each other too well and I thought, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously there's a, a heck of a lot of structure and discipline in those initial uh, training and also also I reckon the, the ability to ask really good questions and quality questions probably came out of that first 10 years of, of working, as you said, in the force. And I like the, I like what you said around that, that, you know, that we all transition. Well, you know, back in that time, there was a lot of transitioning from other careers into financial advice because it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't always the thing that was promoted uh, with your commerce degree, uh, which, no. which is very different to now, I guess. But, um, yep. uh, and, uh, and then work. So tell me about that time when you walked in with your mate who was an ex-SAS, uh, I don't know what to call them, uh, ex-SAS. And then tell, tell me about walking into that practice and then, working there for the first sort of 12 months, getting to doing your apprenticeship, if you like, again? Yeah, yeah no, no, great question. I, look, it, it was it was so new and, and it was so unstructured in, in my world. I, I thought, to be honest, Fraser, I thought I was walking into something that it'll blow my mind away, professional business, Collins Street in Melbourne, I'll be on the steepest learning curve I won't be able to add value. I had a, actually a fair bit of self-doubt, to be perfectly blunt with you, and, and I just wasn't sure what, what was going on. And so I decided that I'll do as much research as I can. I'm a, a classic investigator. You, you research everything. You get your facts understood. And, and But walking in there and seeing we had a – we had a, a single office. There was, what, one, two, three, four advisors. We had a paraplanner. We had your typical client service team members and a receptionist, and that was the structure of the business. The owner had – uh, a very a very flamboyant individual who was could be described as he's brilliant but a little bit erratic in one sense because he just brought stuff in and clients were coming in non-stop and the business for me when I walked in was was almost chaotic there was stuff going on everywhere there were clients to be seen there were these things called SOAs to be prepared there was some internal pressure amongst people saying I need this particular piece of work and, and I'm not ready to, to get it done there were 
all sorts of stuff. And and I suppose I, I threw myself in. I started to to work out what superannuation was, what what providing financial advice was. And, and in fact, one of my first real lessons, ironically, was around pricing, Fraser, because I was actually photocopying for three days our review reports that were going out to clients. And that was a bizarre thing. I, I literally stood at a photocopy and someone, one of my detective mates ran me and said, oh, gee, what's it like in business? I said, I've been on my feet for about 13 hours straight photocopying. And he's gone, hang on a minute, last week you were putting bracelets on crooks and, and going to the Supreme Court and giving evidence and blah, blah, blah in murder trials and here you are photocopying. I said, yeah, but it, it was in that photocopying that I just I learned a lot and I started to look through cash accounts for clients and seeing this these fees coming through was really bizarre. And, and the reason I mention it is it's so prophetic because it was 20 years ago almost to the day. And I remember seeing this just confusion, all those these fees that fluctuated all the time every month. There was no rhythm to it, no symmetry to it, no structure to it, and I couldn't get my head around it. And so I asked the question of the advisors and the owners at the time, well, listen, what's going on with this? I, I can't get my head around it. Oh, Rob, it's quite simple. You know, clients have this thing called funds under management, FUM, and, and what happens is the, the platform takes the start of the month and the end of the month. They get the average of the FUM. We then apply this thing called 1%. That's what we charge our clients. I'll get on to why in a moment, but we charge them 1.1% 1, 1. 1 and then the fee gets calculated that way. And I said, but why does it change all the time? Oh, well, money can come in, money can go out, people can withdraw some, there's pension payments to be made, there's super contributions. It was all over the place and I was still confused, very confused as I started to sort of unwrap, well, what's this business actually do for people? How does it, what services it provide? What does it charge for those services? And I just couldn't get the connection at all. Even back then, I struggled with it. And I actually said, literally in my first week or two, do we need to follow a model like this? Because how do we know it's right or fair? And how come, how do we manage a business when it changes so frequently? I said, oh, well, that's what, that's what we do. That's what everyone does. That's what we've always done, right? Yes. It's- <laughs> So shut up, Rob, and just do what we everyone does. So I fell in line. I find this really interesting that you've come you've come at that from a consumer point of view. Yeah, so both, I both did. A, as a you know, as you mentioned, the investigator, which I'm going to get to a bit later on in our conversation because I know that's still inside of you. Oh yeah. The but that's you've you, you've approached this from a consumer saying, well, if it's confusing for a consumer, then oh, I felt challenged by it, Fraser, and I. I then, because I was photocopying all these files, I kept looking at these different clients and I was trying to work out in my mind, well, if they're different and the only difference I can see is how much money they've got, you know, and then this fairness thing came. I don't know. It was just one of those things. Like the, the logic of it didn't make sense to me. I had a real real problem with it because so I kept asking questions all the time and they probably got annoyed. But at the same time, I think it actually challenged them a lot. They started to go, well, are you right? I, I, you know, and one of the things I struggled with the most was one client in particular, I'll never forget it. We photocopied the review report. The client was coming up for their review meeting in a week or two's time and not Normally, we'd send it out first and come in and they'd have a chat about it. But in that intervening period between preparing it and the client coming in for the review, they had a a windfall of half a million dollars or thereabouts that was going in. So we put that in. It went into the same portfolio that the client already had, distributed into the same managed funds that were sitting inside that portfolio. But we made an extra $5,000 out of it because it was a half a million dollars. And at 1%, that's what it meant. And I, I knew that 
in my head was, well, does it take us $5,000 to pretty much just invest the same amount of money? Now, back there, not generating an SOA or an ROA and all the trouble you have to go through, you still, you didn't have to do a hell of a lot at the time. So the money went in and I thought, gee, the client, we just made an extra five grand, but have we actually done something? I, I, I wasn't trying to get on a moral high horse phrase or anything like that. It was more just trying to get an understanding of what the hell is happening here. Yeah. And, and why should that scenario exist when it really has no logic to it? Because we didn't employ any more people. Um, we, we were just making more money. That was it. Yep, yep. So that uh, so if we then work out what uh, wh- where did you go from there? I guess uh, how did you then think about what what could a fee model look like? Well, I, I sort of took the general manager role. Then I was asked. I, I'd, I'd sort of tried to make a few changes in the business, and, and and I think I was okay at some things I did. And they asked me to come on board as a director, and then I became a part owner of the business, and we started to then grow. But the the thing that that we then did was we because they, no one was ready at the time. There's no such thing as a fixed fee back then, Fraser. It really, well, there probably was, but it didn't exist in the financial planning sense to any degree at all. Every firm I spoke to on the the exposures that I had to other firms was all the same, pretty much one percent. But then we brought in the tiered fee um, model, which was probably the next major shift, if you like, of that business around fee. We brought in the one point one, we tiered it down, and I felt a little bit better because I thought, well, okay, we're not necessarily penalising people who are successful and wealthy and penalising their wealth, which was what I thought we were doing. Um, we're actually, you know, accommodating, if you like, but there was still a disconnect even from that. But at least it was a, a little bit better than just applying an arbitrary flat percentage of fun. And, and the, the other thing that struck out, sorry to interrupt, the, the other thing that, that stuck out at the time too was that there were clients who, you know, we use this or some advisors often say to me now, Rob, oh, this client's simple, simple needs client, or these circumstances are simple. That was the other big lesson for me. The, the more I started to deal personally with some of the clients, I never advised them. I, be, I was the owner, runner. I was running the business, CEO, et cetera. But I did spend a lot of time with clients and talking about things and got to know a hell of a lot of them. And then I realized, gosh, there's a lot of differences between people. Their, their motivations are different. Their, their needs are different. Their financial literacy, financial acumen is different. Some were seen to be really, really complex because historically that's what had happened. They had all these different trusts and family trust accounts and et cetera, et cetera, whereas others were, were quite basic. And that was, I suppose, part of that journey then of understanding, well, hang on a minute, there's more than just a number difference here. There's actual differences in human beings and what motivates them and, and what their core reason for advice might be. And, and yep. so I started exploring that a bit further, eventually going down a, a segmentation sort of process, if you like, to try and even connect closer to the differences that clients were presenting with if that makes sense. Yeah, and to be able to uncover a lot more of that information and then to be able to keep that information in the system. You, you bet, because I, 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 in the force we used to use this the terminology around, it was called antecedent information. So basically if I, hadn't, if I, if I saw someone on the street that I'd sort of known was perhaps a little bit shady, uh, we, we'd stop them. Um, and if they were criminal, we would basically fill out what was called an antecedent report. Why are they out at a certain time? What were they wearing? Um, how do they like to speak and engage? What are their likes and dislikes? As bizarre as that may sound, from a policing point of view, that is so relevant. So I started to think a lot about, well, how do we capture information about clients? How do we transfer that information internally amongst ourselves? How do we keep the client? How do we show them that they are so important to us that we know everything about them? And irrespective of whether we have to change an advisor and 
in and out. We're going to carry this sort of important personal information through, in, including their fears and anxieties. And that was a big thing for the firm at the time to under, understand because they were going, well, hang on a minute, we, we've just got this bit about their, that's their cash flow, they need this, they need that. But it was for me, it was more that connecting stuff that made a lot of sense because I'd saw it before, so I used it all the time. And I could, we could go to crimes sometimes, and I could see footwear imprints and know exactly which crook it is, or or, or know how they were were initiating their particular brand of an offence of breaking into a home. So I always felt that collection of that information, sharing it, having it understood, was was something that was lacking um, yep. in this business, and and that's part of my little mission was to solve that. Yeah, I'm sort of a little bit on you at that mission with you. And that sort of dovetails into, I guess, the idea of, you know, goals and values-based financial advice and being able to then say, well, I now understand what your internal motivations are to be able to, you know, to, to want those sort of things. Um, let's get back to your journey. So you're an owner and manager in that practice. Uh, where, where to from there? So we spent, um, that was 2001 through to 2008. In 2008, <clears throat> the, the business made a decision that we would merge with Shadforth Financial Group, SFG. So that group of companies, um, you know, around the country. And and to be honest, mate, I, I, having spent seven years and, and getting used to this industry in only one firm, boy, that sort of opened the eyes up. So with these 13 firms, we did a merger. It was a script-for-script script merger, no cash at the time, and, and it was basically a like-for-like like comparison. And and it was my, I suppose, my first initiation into comparing yourself to others and having a look at similarities but also picking up differences. And I naively thought, and I was probably pretty naive at the time and insular because I was only dealing with the firm that I was engaged with and owned a little bit of, I thought we'd all be quite similar at a pricing level, at a service level, um, at a profit and loss level. And yet it was almost, it was the opposite. These 13 firms were incredibly different. Even though we were delivering this essentially the same service and similar product, we were so different across so many different le- levels. There were so many legacies to deal with. There was a huge learning curve. And it was at SFG that I was asked to sort of, um, and it was a state-based business with a, a national team, and, and I was asked to run a, a project across all firms, um, a pricing one. And I'll never forget the CEO who has who now um, sadly passed away a few years back. But at the time, he said to me, hey, listen, Rob, what I want you to do is I want to take, and they'd sort of, I suppose they thought I was uh, reasonably okay at the pricing piece itself. So they said to me, could you uh, please uh and and he was almost he was walking out of the room when he said it. Uh, Rob, we need to we need to make some more money for a start as a business because we're not as profitable as we should be. That was number one. Number two was we need to get everyone on the same page. Can you go and organise that and synchronise pricing? Now we had sixteen thousand clients. We had um, you know a huge amount of money we were managing. We had so many different client profiles. We had different firms and different experiences. And we had in amongst those firms, I reckon. There had to be 20, 25 different variations of advice fees. So we had to unravel. So my job was to unravel it all, build something that was going to, one, um, deliver the, the business a, a level of profit that it could at least predict from year in, year out as best it possibly could, better than where it was, to um, synthesize that across all clients. And then we had to manage the project of moving those 16,000 clients across you know, it was massive because, you know, some clients had to come down in price, some had to go up in price. There was all of this going on, but 
in eight months, we actually did it as a business. It was one of the most profound things that I think SFG has ever done was to to to, to represent to all those clients, was to bring a, a synchronised pricing framework, implement that framework, and then get on with the job of advising clients. Yeah, for those listeners yeah. who don't know the Shadfall story, essentially, as you said, those 13 firms came together uh, and had to uh, had to have their say in what their investment philosophy was and what their yes. goals-based philosophy was. And everybody had to have a bit of a say and everybody had to, to do the negotiating to see what, what was going to be the best of breed out of those 13 firms, yes. which is not an easy task. We all know that. And I think the, uh, the, the catchphrase at the time was we're not going to argue over the coffee of cut. Like the color of the coffee yeah. cups or something is that was that it spot on it yeah. was you know talk about egos and, and we've all got them Fraser I suppose but we yeah. had some monumental egos and I think one of the good things about that was we decided to a lot of the egos wanted their particular brand of advice to be the one because yes, hey we've been, been doing it for 30 years and it's bloody fantastic you know yeah. I mean this is the way it should be but as it turned out we and we were confronted by that so the best way we did it was the CEO who, who did this by the way and it was a brilliant move he just simply said oh well that's okay why don't we just grab you and put you all in the room and there's nothing like putting sometimes the egos to work and actually saying well now you're going to produce something I know you're good on the talk and you've been great builders of your businesses but we now need you to actually do some work so we'd like you to reimagine a value proposition we'd like you to start from scratch we'd like to forget all the prejudice that everyone has had and all the experience you've had and actually let's build it from the client experience upwards this time and let's go from that rather than down so what does it look like and if we're starting today how would we invest how would we charge how would we what service do we provide what would you like that client experience to be that was the beginning of the unraveling of both the egos, I suppose, but the bringing together of synchronicity around all the key elements. And I, and again, that it didn't happen overnight for sure. It, it took probably the best part of two years, but it came together in the end and it was yep. really powerful. Yeah, when you say synchronised pricing and synchronicity and within those 13 firms, I'm, I'm thinking of a synchronised swimming team coming together and all performing. <laughs> yes. that, that was what my visual. I'm like, that's not an easy task either. That's a really hard thing to do. Legs and arms everywhere, Fraser, flying yeah. all over the place. And tongs that aren't the same as well, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah fantastic. And so so how long were you at Shadfalls for? How long did you stay there? Um, so, so between 2008 and 2012, four and a half years, and, and about – Sort of midway through that period, uh, Tony asked me, uh, Tony Fenning, the CEO at the time, asked me to sort of then take on a, a, a national role around uh, mergers and acquisitions. Now, I'd had a tiny bit of experience. I won't say at the time that I was, but I had a little bit of experience in firstly rolling up all of the, the money managers, the firm I was initially employed by, those entities, um, and, and then dealing with all the transaction documents and so forth. And we did set up a couple of other companies at the time, um, money managers, but it was pulling all of that together. So I had some experience, but not a lot. But then I got to this great opportunity to meet so many different firms then who were who were interested in the SFG Shadfall story, who were potentially targets of SFG to acquire. And Fraser, I, 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 during that time, I, I can't tell you how many I looked at, but it was at least 300 firms. And my job, it was pretty confusing too, right, confronting. I had to come up with a way to work out what would be a good firm to buy and what is not a good firm to buy by definition. So I decided to build my own little internal assessment matrix benchmark, if you want to call it, and then I basically lined all of the 13 initial SFG firms together and looked at all their metrics. Then I combined them as a single group. And then I basically measured every single firm against this. But it was in was in doing that 
and in speaking to the owners of these firms that you realised, and something really profoundly struck me, one of them was some of them actually don't know their business well at all. In fact, you know, and, and I don't think this is an awful thing to say, their knowledge of their own practice, it's, it's financial history, current performance, future trajectory was poor, was very poor. And, and in fact, we had worked out a way that we could see that same business reimagined, I suppose. And, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a really profound thing, this, because this is what led to Peloton coming into being. I, I, at one stage, I'll never forget sitting across the table from some owners towards the end of my, my career. I'd sort of worked out at SFG, sorry. I'd sort of worked out what I wanted to do. And I'll be honest, I always wanted to have my own thing at some point, but I just didn't have the experience till then. But but during that time, sitting around and, and actually having a check that I was authorised to pay for a firm, which in my mind was clearly 2 to $3 million less than what they should have received. Had they just done a little bit of work in renovating their own practice, sorting a couple of things out, which would have been at minimal cost to them. Maybe it might have taken an extra 12 months or so, but that's it. And they could have had that um, uh, extra amount. Now, my job was to buy at the for my shareholders at the, at the lowest possible price. But, you know, I thought to myself, well, hang on a minute, if I keep coming across this, what on earth is happening out there? And, and the other thing is, I suppose I got to see so many different firms and so many different scenarios where some of the owners were struggling with those decisions they had to make. Some businesses were small, unstructured, other businesses large and had culture problems. And and I started to think very deeply about, I don't know, I think I'd like to go out and help them. Um, I think there is a business there. It was, I'll be honest, it was taking a hell of a lot of risk because I, I, I didn't do any further research than that. But when I think about it, I did a lot of research. I had 300 firms to look at. I had all of their problems we were trying to work through and, and get ahead in our mind. Well, if we had them in our business, what would that business then look like? And I think we were okay at projecting that. And that sort of started, if you like, the thinking about, I think it's time I go and it's think. I think it's time I do something to, to really tap into the passion that I have. And that is to actually help the owners and businesses of financial planners, believing that that will actually help the end client as well. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. That's, now, that's the nexus. That's my DNA in, in yeah, a way, I suppose. That's, that's such an interesting story. It, it really just come back down to the, you know, your your love of finance and money and, and numbers and the, the numbers nerd part of you. Um, yes. Combined with the investigator piece where you're actually digging in and asking the questions and finding out and getting underneath the, which is generally often a people business first. Uh, I think yes. I find a lot of our financial planning firms, they're, they're a people business first, they're, they're there for their clients and their staff and their uh, you know, even somewhat the lifestyle, uh, and then the numbers tend to come second, which is interesting. Obviously, it's like the plumber Spot with the leaky tap, right? Spot on. You've just hit it on the head. I look, you know, not jumping right now to where we are, but I, I have this sort of catchphrase in Peloton that our sole job. And I just spoke to a new firm yesterday, yesterday morning, and and I said to them, at the end of the day, our job is quite simple. It's an equation that sounds simple, and that is to establish and maintain a right fee for the client, right return for a business. I found too often, as you just pointed out, the the business actually came second. We kept promoting our clients are first and all this type of stuff. But some of these firms, Fraser, are actually, you know, in some distress. Um, and that stress manifests then in their behaviour. And their behaviour often goes to culture and culture goes to turnover of staff. And we do a little measurement on culture. And it's amazing how much the numbers do tell a story. And I, without speaking to owners, if we get their data, I can actually get a read on their culture really quickly by, by assessing their longevity of team members and other bits and pieces. And it's a really profound thing. 
and often it stems from I've looked after the clients, I think, well, I'm paying my staff well, but I'm not paying myself very well at all and I don't think I'm building a sustainable practice. And that, again, is part of the DNA of Peloton as well was to rectify that and bring balance back. It's not about promoting the business over the client nor the client over the business. It's about that equal objective of delivering a great service but getting paid exactly what you should be paid, what you deserve, what you what, what you ought to have and, yep. and just making sure that is the, is the predominant strategy. Yeah, fantastic. Now tell me about that uh, mm-hmm. that initial starting your own business uh, because obviously a, a consulting business to financial advisors is very similar to a financial advice business with clients. Uh, you, you started up, you had to go and find clients. Tell us about how you went and did that. Well, I, I had to convince my wife first, mate, and I'll be honest with you, that, that was tough. I, I, I was fortunate that my um, business partner, co-founder Michael Harrison, um, came with me um, and both of us shared a very similar passion and together we built Peloton and, and we were starting there with an empty sheet uh, uh, and I suppose I was thinking, oh, well, I'll, I'll, this will be great. I'll, I'll have all these clients. I'm sure they'll come to us. They need what we do and I was wrong, obviously. I, 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 we started well. We did a little bit of here and there but we didn't actually start delivering what we are delivering right now for some time. It just didn't happen straight away because I don't think we're on song. I, I don't think we had that product, if I can use the word loosely, um, properly understood and and ready to go. But we did little projects here and there for some ferns. We started to slowly build a, a bit of a reputation. We, we were never a coach, Fraser. We're not that there are some coaches in this industry. I, I looked at all that. We decided because we were good at execution, and yeah, it does go back to my policing days. I'd love to solve crime. It was one of my absolute <laughs> joys in life was to go in and solve something. The only way you did that was execution, not executing people, of course, but <laughs> execution of the, of the arrest strategy. Of the to the Victorian to- Police Department. Yeah. Oops, oops. Sorry, force. Yeah. Yes, yes, and, and I, yeah. So I, it, it, but it was about execution, Fraser. And I felt some. I felt that if as a, as a coach, I'd be hopeless because I'd want to get in all the time and start being hands on because I can't stand like, hey, I went away to this conference, felt good for a couple of days, and suddenly I've lost all momentum. And as an advisor truthfully said to me, this same one yesterday or the day before, when he said, "I actually, Rob, don't know where to start. I know I want to do something. I know I have to do something, but I don't know where to start." And so it, it was. We, we always set it up to be execution focused, that we weren't going to just say, here's what to do, tell me what to do. It's here's what to do. Here's the why of why you should be doing it. Here's the process of doing it. And by the way, we can also do it for you because, and the minute we did that and the minute we started to build that reputation as being able to execute and implement, it just changed everything, Fraser. And we went from, you know, looking after one or two clients to, to where we are today. But But I must say, we're not a mass market coaching business at all where we only deal with effectively 12 to 15 to 20 firms maximum a year because what we do is very intense and it takes a lot of manpower and so so and because we need so much focus on it we 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 are not a, a big mass market coaching business we are a specific implementation business, project management business, dealing with something this industry has found terribly diff- challenging, how to how to value advice, how to position advice, how to price advice, and how to make a sustainable profit from advice. And eight years later, I'd like to think we've we, we we've nearly hit the holy grail of getting that right, if yeah. I can say that. And before we get into your the products you actually provide. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a a twelve month to fifteen a year year and a half type program, isn't it? It's like a, that yeah. you're you're not like a let's let's be together forever. You're a, you know we're going to help you get to here and then you're done. Now spot on. And look, once we get them to there, what we've noticed our first 
six clients, ironically, the first six firms we dealt with have all come around and done this again. Even though I say to them, you can actually do it yourself. You've got the structure, you've got the framework. They want they've wanted to pay us, and we're not we're not cheap pros. We'll talk about that later. But uh, well. I'd, I'd say as an investment, it's incredibly um, re- return on, on investment's huge, but it mightn't seem cheap. But these firms have all come around. They wanted us to do it again. And the reason they came back and the reason they wanted it is they wanted the experience again and they wanted the discipline and they wanted the framework and they wanted to be accountable and they wanted to know that someone was there constantly at their back saying, this has to happen and it's got to happen. It's the only way it does happen. So we, we'd sort of... Um, our program, if you like, there's I focus, I deliver. I'm not, I won't get into it in real detail, but yes, essentially, there's a there's a 15 month program that's in there in the I deliver, which is the all of the doing bit, and that's how long it actually takes to price advice and shift clients and communicate value correctly. Fraser, I don't want to shorten it any less. I live in a world of doing this every day. I don't do broad brace coaching and I still takes us that long to do it and proudly so because the more that we understand a business, we deep dive into it, the more we understand client, the more the end client, their their world, their service, their value, their needs, the better we can price it. And and the program itself is powerful because Firms can use it over and over again to run their business professionally at that most important bit. Yep. Yeah. The way I sort of describe it is you you do the diagnosis at one part of it, and then the second part you just fix it. It's a bit like uh, taking it out of the mechanic, I suppose. You know, here's what's yes. wrong with it. Now, yeah. now go and fix it. You could probably teach yeah. me how to do it, but it's, uh, like you said, that do it do it for you is such a big uh, aspect of busy professionals and any particular profession. It's like, well, I'm here to see clients. I'm here to see patients. I'm here to see, you know, can you just fix that? I, yes, I need to fix it. Can you go and go ahead and do it? So let's yep. let's dive into those two products. Um, you, the first one's what we what you call I focus. So, so we used this at the time back in 2012 when we set the business up. Everything seemed to be I, I don't know. And we were trying to work out, well, what is it that we actually do? And it actually jumped out really clearly. I, I mean, I, I know you might think, gee, he left a business, tried to convince his wife, four children, debt, to go and set up a business and then sort of not really understand what it was. I always understood what I wanted to do. I just didn't have it properly put together. But I focus came very quickly and it was as simple as that. The focus, the focus must be on, on the business itself. And and look, that that program is a is a literally a, a we send out information to a firm, they send it back. I don't get engaged with them at a deep level about the ins and outs and what they've done over time. I learnt my lesson well not to engage in that. Why? And it might seem odd, but you pick up the prejudice of people so profoundly. And I made a mistake actually on one of the first firms we advised. I went and listened to five of the owners. It was an accounting and financial planning practice, no names, of course, but the accountants were quite dark on the financial planning side and everyone was blaming each other. And I stupidly got myself engaged in that. And I realised that what I should have just done was looked at the information, interpreted that, presented that. If I got it wrong, I'll die by my sword. If I got it right, they'd be interested in what we had to say and and would move forward. So to this day, if I speak to a firm, I might have a 20, 30-minute conversation maximum. But after that, that's it. We we send out some information in the iFocus stage. They send that back. It takes us two to three weeks to properly analyse, put together our advice. Again, we're not dealing with mass clients. So unfortunately, it does take a period of time to deal with, but it's a really profound deep dive. It's yeah. it's looking at a business, taking the rose-coloured glasses off, looking at their financial performance historically, looking at their service, their type of clients they support, how elastic their service proposition is, um, what their pricing framework 
is currently, what it's done to the financials of the business, pulling back the layers to understand it better, um, and then reimagining that same business through our lens with the experience that we've got now from the 100 firms that we've dealt with and, and giving them a sense of, I suppose, framework, hope, confidence uh, to be able to project for the very first time perhaps exactly what their future looks like and know how to how to deal with any changes, whether it's internal changes or changes at the client level. I think these are really powerful things and iFocus does that. It shines a light on the potential very clearly. I present that then to the owners over a three to four hour meeting um, and then forward them the document that we've prepared for them after that and that tells everything, right? It, it's them and, and it's not often we've got it wrong. I think most, I'd like to think 99% of the time we've actually got it completely right. And sometimes it's very, very challenging for the firm to hear what we have to say. But surely that's the first step yeah. of then understanding and then accepting. And I think the and, reason, sorry, I think some of the reasons why this is a difficult, it's, it actually could be quite difficult for, for new clients of yours to come on because they, they have to then, a lot of businesses are perceived uh, on the outward looking in as, you know, very well structured and built business. But let's face it, there's no perfect, there's no perfect business. And so for somebody to say, oh, look, I'm going to let you into the inner sanctum and you can tell me all the things wrong with my business. Um, and I'm thinking that you go in and you look at facts and figures only and discard by what you said, discard all our good intentions. Uh, they haven't happened yet. So we'll just discard them and just look at the, the raw facts. Uh, sure, they get certainty out of it, but there's a, there's a, there's a fair bit of, um, falling on your sword, I guess it has to take place. So, so tell me how you get, how, uh, you know, like new, new clients of yours, because this is the same as clients of a financial, a financial planner, yeah. how they get them, their mindset in a place where they're willing to do that. Yeah, great. Another great question. And in fact, I had someone I presented with recently who's been in the industry for a number of years and she's a fantastic operator, runs a great business, but she actually said to me, I, I've been hearing you, I heard you speak a few times, I've sort of heard of your group generally, and Rob, I'll be perfectly blunt, the reason I haven't come to you guys at this point in time is I actually don't want to hear what you have to tell me, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed. And, you know, that hit me, Fraser, a little bit, and I thought, my God, that's... Now, now it wasn't, I don't believe it was her ego at all. Uh, she's such a terrific person. It, it, was, it was her call that the business is not necessarily in the best shape and she wasn't necessarily wanting that to be told that. And so we've had to sort of overcome even anyone's fear of going through a process like this, which yes, can be challenging, but also very positive too. The, the thing I, I, I suppose I would say to anyone listening um, is if, if at all, if at any point that you've sat back there and said, I, I actually just don't feel that I'm being rewarded necessarily to the extent I should be. I don't feel that I've got the team completely on site with our value and how we go about things and so forth. And I just don't feel it's right for tomorrow's environment or even today's. You know, that should be a trigger to do something, whether it's coming to Peloton or whether it's engaging someone else to help you understand more about what's going on. Whatever you do, just accept that perhaps you, you might need to swallow a little bit of the, the pill initially uh, to hear what needs to be said. But in that environment that we're doing that, at the same time, we're actually drawing on, well, now we're going to get over that bit. Let's let's reimagine. So let's reimagine together. But when I reimagine it for you, it's not some hope thing. It's not some amateur projection based on nothing. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months to your cash flow, to your clients, to the time it needs to, to do something like this, the impact on your business. And it's in that that I think creates then the impetus to go, right, I've bitten it. I understand. I can see 
I need to do. And that's why I say to them, so we're going to stop that conversation now. We're going to talk about whether you're going to invest in this yourself. Do it yourself. I've given you a framework to work to. Build that yourself or do you want us to actually do it for you and implement it for you? That's that's the end of the eye focus, if you like. And we tell them exactly how we do it, by the way. We there's nothing I, I don't like to hide anything. I like to I like to give a lot and I like to say, well, this is what you're gonna go through. And we know it works because we've done it many times. If you want to do the same, go through the same steps. Don't shortcut. Don't take a, oh, well, I might just do this bit and so forth. If you're fair income about it and you do need to change, and let's look at this regulatory environment. If there's ever a time to get this right, you have no choice, Fraser, but to get it right. It's almost like, and I've been saying the same stuff for eight years, and no one listened to me back eight years ago um, when I talked about this because everyone was used to the environment at the time, but it was never going to stay that way, you know? So, so it was the, it's the encouragement, I think, to see that there is definitely a really positive light at the end of the tunnel and it's not just fluff and it's not just, hey, you're going to walk out of here and you're going to be a spec, you're going to do all this and make all this money. I don't say any of that. I say this is a framework that needs to be put in. It takes time, effort, energy on both of us, skill, communication, training for advisors. It's, it's, a, it's a full reset. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So that so that's the eye focus, and that's and focus. Uh, and you can work with people just to do the eye focus, but or then you yes. can you offer them the you know do you want us do you want us to put it in place for you make it happen correct make it become a reality talk us through and you said it you know twelve to fifteen months talk us through that uh, I deliver process thanks so, so yeah so I, once the decision is made I deliver kicks in and the and it's four phases and and quite distinct the very first thing we do is talk to the team then that's where we want to get to know people that's where we want to get to know their prejudice their issues their their positive aspects of the business, their personal history. I mean, you talk about it and you said it well, the, the relevance between, you know, bringing on a financial planner, bringing on a new client, well, we go through the same process. So we do a lot around meeting with the, the whole team, receptionists through to the to the end owners in phase one, and that takes time. That's an interview process. We, we do a lot of documentation. It's very private conversations. I do not share it with the owners of the business. In fact, I explicitly tell them I'm under zero obligation and I'm never going to tell you what your team say because I need to get an understanding of what makes this business tick, where its perhaps um, strengths are, where its weaknesses are, and and to understand the human element of it a lot better. Because I personally believe it's in that human element that you see the, I get a reflection of the client value. And then as odd as that may seem, it's amazing when you talk to advisors and the team and, and all the layers of the business, you can get a really strong sense of what the client environment must feel like. And having done it so many times and seen all different models across this industry, uh, and I'm not saying I can, you know, get it perfect every single time, but I do get a very, very strong sense. So doing that is a key part of it. And then we go back into numbers again. Sorry, I feel yeah. like that, uh, that 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 again is where your trained investigator, uh, yes. you know, really comes through. I've had some in tears. I've had some a bit worried. I um, I, I did find, Rose, I have to say, in I Deliver, got I proudly um, caused the sacking of an advisor, one out of 190 that I've seen in this industry or 200 who was a genuine crook. And on the very first day we came in, by the end of the day, that person was gone. And it came about because of the questioning. And, and yeah, I'm fairly obsessive about it. I, 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 I never ask a question that ends in a yes or a no. It is always who, what, why, when, where, how. That's 
Um, and the, and the reason for that is is my training, and it's you get people to speak, you get people to talk, and as I said, you get a really strong sense of connection then. And and this particular individual, I don't want to hone in on it, of course, and waste time, but that was the, a prime example of a person that shouldn't have been in this industry, and it's a reason that these intrusive regulations are imposed upon everyone. But the hundred and ninety or two hundred other advisors I've spoken with, it's been such a privilege. They are so damn awesome they annoy me at the same time because they limit their value all the time and the only way to let that really unravel and that's where it does is you listen to their stories about the great advice moments they have achieved for their clients and when they say stuff to me like i don't do much for this client rob or you know oh they're really easy to service i i never accept that which is a bit like Back in the old criminal days, I never accepted a, a, a bloke who turns around and I've caught him almost red-handed. He said, "No, I didn't do it." Well, okay. Well, I'm going to I'm going to work out and make you trip yourself up. Whoops! I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to work out a way through questioning to get you to tell me what I, I need. I know is the, yep. is the case. Anyway, yep. so, so, so so that bit's so important. So number one, number one is team. Uh, the second step is numbers. Is 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 absolutely coming back in about understanding first the elasticity of the service proposition, pairing that then and understanding client profiles. Now the odd thing about client profiles is you know people often say oh clients they need superannuation advice or they need pension advice or investment advice or whatever, and everyone sort of tends to stop there there or don't go too much further. We want to go much further. We want to understand profiles, not how much money someone has, but the type of client profile they are, and the way that we unpack some of that is through questioning around the the reasons that they came to advice in the first place. Why did they come to the business in the first place? Was there something missing? Was there something lacking? Did they have hopes that they perhaps couldn't do themselves? Is there a financial literacy issue? Is there a lack of time issue? Is there a financial succession issue or financial philanthropy issue that they want to pursue? That bit needs to be unpacked so, so much, and yet it's too much left off the table. But So so we, we want to understand that. So understanding the client profiles is that next stage with the numbers again. Yep. Um, then we go into the next phase of building their their initial pricing framework. And in some firms, we've actually done, we're up to version nine on one firm. It, it, it just, it takes time. It really does. Because if we ignore the client profiles um, or we just take the extreme end of client profiles, we're going to miss the core group of clients that every business looks after. And the presumption, and it's a reasonable one, is that same client profiles will come to the business at some point. The extreme ends we can deal with, but they shouldn't dictate the pricing framework because it'll distort everything. So we spend a lot of time around pulling all that together, presenting that to the the business. Then we go into a testing phase. So we take all the advisors behind the analysis of how we got to where we got to. We talk to them about targeting profit, a simple proposition of actually targeting profit. Now, not all advisors are owners of a firm. They don't often know that. But in our world, the firms we work with have been so brilliant in saying they're exposing themselves and saying, we want you to know everything advisors. Um, if you're not owners, we want you to come in behind the curtain. And I ask them that permission. Can you let me take them in so they can understand the why here so that they feel connected to the process. They feel connected to um, the, the pricing validation piece that's so important. And so that when they're talking to clients, it, it becomes something that they innately believe in. And it's not something they're just going, gee, I'm going to have to tell you what the fees and I, oh, I'm making a fortune or I don't believe it. So we do a lot of work around that. So that's sort of phase three. Phase four is also, is coaching. Now, we actually take advisors on a, a journey. So we actually script right for them the conversation they have they have with their end client to, for a couple of things. 
It's not for the client, Fraser. The client gets uh, it's overwhelming our analysis and and uh, performance to date and everything we track. And as you know, we track every single individual client here. We're not talking stuff that's fluffy. We know exactly the movement of every single one of the eight thousand clients that have gone through this process. So we know the success rate of presenting to clients. We know what they value. We know that two two to three percent of every firm we've worked with, pretty much two to three percent of the clients have left because of this process. And you know why they've left? Not because of the price. They've left because of value. And that's a hard, hard thing. And I, I say it at the outset to every firm, listen, I'm going to tell you some some good news first. 90, 78% of your clients are going to sign the paperwork in the meeting straight away when you present it, irrespective of the type of change in the fee. Now, don't forget fees come down too in our world as much as they go up. It's the process that determines the fee. But for those that go up, overwhelming numbers sign in. And why do they sign up straight away? They have no issue with it because, one, they believed in the process that the advisor's just taken them through. Two, they see so much value in the practice. They, It's unquestionable to them. And, and that's that intangible value component. So they don't have an issue. They don't believe they've been hoodwinked into something um, and they believe they're getting tremendous value. But a reality is a small percentage don't, won't, and just will leave. And so that's a fact. But overwhelming, they don't. So we, we show the advisors how to have a conversation with a client in a structured way to introduce a really tough topic. And I'm surprised at how many firms actually haven't modified their fees or had a tough fee conversation with clients. And yet we now have to do that every 12 months, we've got to reset things. So the education side is huge on supporting the advisors to have these challenging conversations by giving them a structured format that is believable, is clear, is so absolutely transparent to the client. The client sees everything. And we simply believe that once that happens, that transparency is absolutely brilliant and everyone sort of lines up to it and there's no ambiguity and it's there's nowhere to hide, absolutely nowhere to hide. So we teach them how to handle objections for objections that might come up and just how to how to get out of a situation if need be. But perhaps the thing I'm most important about is we teach them how to position their value accurately. And this has been a real problem of ours for for mine personally I wanted to solve for years is that I ask an advisor tell me what you say to your clients and you know, tell me how you tell me how you talk to me if I'm a new client and too often advisors constrict their value by saying three to five things typically look after their goals and objectives we we invest your money for you we'll look at asset allocation we're going to look at tax as well for you and we're going to help you navigate fantastic but it doesn't actually tell me what an advice business does on a monthly basis and why I'm paying this fee that could be 50000 at one end or 4000 or 2000 at another. What is it that financial planning practices do for clients? So part of what we're doing is actually unpacking that completely and giving the advisors a broader conversation with the blinkers off so that they don't get trapped in constricting value because when you huddle around those three or four or five things, you actually tend to pull um, you know, psychologically, the price down. And in fact, a lot of advisors then will say to me, and a lot of younger advisors will see a fee a client's currently paying go, Rob, I don't believe in that fee right now. I'm, you know, and you'll ask them, well, they don't know. You'll ask them how much money is the business making on that client. And even an owner with 30 years experience, Fraser, has no idea really. I don't know what I'm making on that $12,000 fee or that $8,000 fee. I could be making a lot, could be making nothing. I could be giving it away. This isn't about you know, ramping fees up. It isn't about, in fact, a lot of what we do is promote pro bono work and discounted work for those Australians who are struggling. But there's got to be a reason for doing that. You've got an economic business here. So 
I, look, I've waffled on. I know I've covered a lot of things here. I apologise, but I'm trying to give you a sense. And then and phase four, bang, we start. It's implementation. And that could take three to four months just to get to that first implementation from the start. And I make no apology for it because all of that work gets done in that time to get everyone ready, get the business ready, get the structure of the conversations ready, the paperwork ready, get the advisors fit and ready to go for it. And then it's a progressive implementation according to the review cycle um, of the business and all existing clients are moved and then they can also deal with their new clients coming through. And it means that within 12 to 15 months, the whole business has been completely reimagined and transitioned at a at a financial framework level. Yeah, I really love that. Uh, I, I love the structure. I know there's a, there is definitely a, a process in the advisors themselves having that belief in this is the correct um, this is the correct structure. Yeah. And often those first few the first first few conversations are the, are the hardest. So to be able to have those first few conversations in a structured format that take place before um, uh, you're actually going to a client, I think it's pretty pretty incredible. So Rob, so that's uh, that's a really really great process for you know financial advisors. I imagine this um, articulating the value, the true value in financial advice. Um, do you want to give us a bit of a sneak uh, insight into what you might say? And is it different for every firm, or do you have a, a standard belief? It's it's very different for every firm, and and I suppose that's the first thing to demystify here. Even though we're all financial planners and we largely deliver the same thing. Cost structures, profit structures, history, everything is cost-based. Everything is so different. But at the core of financial planning, right, and this is my belief in unpacking services, we know that there is a minimum of 12 different service areas or expense areas that are required to service a client no matter the profile. That's the minimum. We've got some firms that that goes up to 24, and it's in that unpacking their capability, their qualification, how far they can extend into the advice range, um, and and that becomes value then, right? That becomes their proposition. It becomes the scope of what they're capable of servicing, and often it's a surprise to them to actually see that laid out structurally and functionally, and then for their clients to actually see that when those clients are reflected against those same set of service areas that the business is qualified to do. But when it comes to to positioning, and, and we had a we had a situation where an advisor who was 25 years advisor, Fraser, a real experienced guy, the, a client came in, the Peloton process or the iDeliver process was delivered to the client. The client didn't say anything in the meeting around consenting to the change in the fee. The fee was moving from, I think, around $8,000 to about twelve or thirteen or something like that, around four or $5,000. That, that's a reasonable increase. It's not certainly not the biggest. It's not, certainly not the smallest. It's a reasonable one. And the client wrote an email straight away when they got home. Um, the, the client was actually a policeman. wife was a teacher. So they, they were quite knowledgeable people, experienced people. And the, the client wrote a simple thing back and said, listen, I don't necessarily object. You actually explained everything quite well, really well. I don't object to what you've just delivered to me. But before I hit the button and consent to it, what do you actually, you've told me I pay, have to pay a monthly fee and it's part of it and I've seen that before, but what do you actually do for me on a monthly basis? Now, the advisor then rang me. It was interesting because he said, oh, Rob, I got this email and that's what the client said. And I said, well, you've been an advisor longer than I've been in business. So what was your response? And he again sort of clustered around those five or six areas. So I said to him, look, if, if it's all right, I'd like to respond to that client through you, of course. Um, and I'll tell, I'd like to tell the client exactly what goes on in a financial planning practice to service a client, which in my world equates to the value of advice, right? So I did. And I actually listed for this client 15 different areas that their monthly fee contributes. 
profit is one of them. So the final one was profit margin. And the client came back once he saw everything and it was all laid out in the same way that it was presented to him, but just with a bit more detail. And the client said he finally understood because he actually thought my needs are quite simple and, oh, what do you guys do? I only see you once a year or twice a year and blah, blah, blah. But that's not what you pay a fee for once or twice a year. You actually pay it for this ongoing thing that has to occur. And it was just through, I suppose, peeling back those layers that it makes sense. And that now has become a little bit of a – and it changes for every firm. It has to because each firm is a little bit different in where they go and each client is a bit different in terms of what they need. But the core structure of that is something that I'm passionate about and it's something when I train advisors now and I send them and say to them, you can put this on your website if you want and they want to use it because it actually is the fullest example of what actually goes on in a financial planning practice and why a client should pay a fee. And the crazy thing is – The advisors, especially the ones coming in, go, wow, I didn't even realize this. Now, I didn't realize it. You're right. This is the areas that we're doing. These are the areas that touches even advisor training, even the compliance and regulatory thing. All of that, we've made sure it's quite clear and explicit so that there is no ambiguity and that part of the fee goes toward this, just as it is that specific need for that specific client, which needs to be dealt with. And a lot of it is around that intangible value piece. So we found out the reason why this policeman and his wife needed advice. There was a couple of reasons. One was a financial literacy one. Not that they were uh, uh, uneducated or anything. It's just there's never been an interest. They always came back to the firm and asked more and more and more about things because they needed more understanding. They requested more time. They needed more meetings. That was part of their DNA. They wanted more attention because they couldn't quite grasp some of the concepts. So we built that in for them. Now, there was another client. The next one that came through was an accounting partner of a four, you know, a, a tax partner of a firm, uh, of one of the big four accounting firms here in Melbourne, and absolutely has bucket loads of knowledge, but had no time. So there was a time-based engagement that we were factoring in and the importance of time and, and getting organised. You know, this is what advice is about. It's about understanding those initial needs, desires, gaps, if you want to call it, um, and, and actually making sure that you're pairing your value to that Because the minute you do, part of the fee, we say for every single client, and this is in the education of the advisors, is clients are investing in themselves. And my level of investment that I need to make is different from someone else based on my experience and where I'm at in my stage of life. But the minute you connect me that I'm investing in myself and my family's future, and it just changes sometimes this thing of, hey, I've got this, I'm going to try and screw the fee down. We've had clients just constantly want to test their advisor they're only testing them right and they're putting on them and i've heard advisors go oh look perhaps we might be able to do a little bit with the fee and i stop them and go the minute you say that all you're doing is lowering your own profit so do you want to do that for that particular client do they deserve it do they fit a category that you should be discounting them do they have they got any right over any other client you're eating into your profit so let's get confidence about what we do let's know it's valuable if the client doesn't believe it's valuable that's their right they're not a client but if they do, they're investing in themselves and then there's also these cost areas that they must pay to, to stay. It's as simple and as logical as that, but the conversation and framework and the pricing model, Fraser, has not to this day, as far as I'm, I'd like to say, it hasn't been structured that way that you can have that type of conversation fluidly, honestly, openly, transparently and not budge from it. Yep. which is the important point here. Exactly right. Um, thank you for that. And speaking of uh, fees and value, are you happy to talk about how you charge and, 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 yeah. and your fees? Yeah, 100%. So the iFocus is $15,000 plus GST. But occasionally, it depends on the, the type of firm, depends on what we find, um, we can provide a bit of a discount to that. We've gone higher, we've gone lower. But it takes us roughly 
between 60 to 80 man hours to put together an iFocus. Some firms are very complex. Some firms have got MDA, managed account structures that need some unpacking. That might take a bit longer, but we base it on that. And our standard fee has been around 15000 but we, we we, we move between the between the ranges to deal with it. As far as iDeliver is concerned, the engagement at iDeliver is somewhat different. It's a minimum of 400 hours. Even for a single advice practice, I get this a lot, you know, we work just as much, with, and we've got plenty of those, through to we're working to probably 1,300, 1,400 hours with a firm with nine advisors at the moment, and it's a time-based thing. So we charge a minimum fee to engage Peloton at $80,000 for iDeliver, spread over 24 months. And and I suppose if I can just get to the topic, right, and I was told this, Fraser, when I first started the business. They said, Rob, back then uh, we were charging $5,000 for an iFocus and, and uh, you know, $20,000 for iDeliver. And they said, one, someone, a couple of people I trusted, mentors said, oh, advisors won't pay. There's no way. They're used to getting handouts. They won't pay for that. That's a 5000 let alone 20 let alone 30 Well, we have pretty much zero. I, I don't have a problem with selling the fee because it's an investment phrase. I, 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 it actually is the easiest thing to do. And I know it sounds large and I respect that, but it's what you got to pay for what you get. And the return on that is phenomenal. I, I don't think we've got a firm yet that within the first seven months hasn't actually covered already that Peloton fee that's amortized over the period for them. I haven't seen a firm yet that's actually had to budget for this even. It does self-pay. But I'd like to think it's more than that. It's an investment. And if you don't want to invest in it, don't. If you want to invest in it, see it as an investment. The return is very, very clear. And we do a lot of cash flow projections for the firm. We show them exactly when it's going to pay you back. And and it dwarfs the impact. I had a firm recently, I'll give you a very simple example. We presented an iFocus to them. Sadly, before we got there, they had just bought $400,000 worth of recurring fees. It cost them $1.1 million. It was about $2.25 roughly recurring. We identified in their business a minimum of $435,000 of ongoing revenue from existing clients, no additional cost base, all clients known to the firm, and that would have cost them, I think, about $150,000 to get Peloton in to do it. I think they had four advisors, something like that, four advisors. Yeah, I don't think I have to say much further than that. I, I think it actually explains it. What they did was they bought themselves an extra 300 clients. They had to put on more people, clients they didn't even know. Problems in the, as we found out subsequently, the service issues of some of those clients, history they don't really know. And I'm not against acquisitions. I've done 38 transactions now, buy and sell. I'm after fix your, fix your house first, for goodness sake. In this world, you've got to fix yourself first. You'll look at the transaction totally differently then. You'll be able to profile it over your new framework and you'll be able to get it right from day one rather than just piling on problems. And they're expensive problems too. I'm yep, not against yep. it. I just think it needs to be done a bit better. Yeah, you certainly uh, sounds like you know developing those foundations and, and securing those foundations within your own business before you bring on um, who knows what out of a, an existing book. Spot on. Rob, thanks so much for coming on and chatting to us today and, and, and going through your process. How can people uh, reach out to you, uh, get hold of you, um, contact you if they wanted to continue the, the conversation? Firstly, thanks to you, Fraser, too, for reaching out and, and giving me this opportunity to talk about something I, I'm – I absolutely love and live it every day. Um, so I want to say thanks to you um, and your community, 100%. It, quite simply, um, uh, email, so Peloton Partners, so the, the website www.pelotonpartners. Peloton is P-E-L-O-T-O-N. Sometimes people P-E-L-E-T-O-N. There's a biking analogy in there that I didn't get into, but anyway, that, so it's pelotonpartners.com.au. 
I've got a mobile. I'm happy to give that appraiser at any time. I don't know what the process is, but um, by mobile as well through our LinkedIn, all sorts of um, avenues, um, and we'd be happy to chat to anybody and, and just have a conversation with them. Fantastic. Yeah, I think uh, with the powers of Google these days, Peloton Partners should be found or yourself, Rob Jones, or, or, or especially Thumbs on LinkedIn. Up. I think you're pretty much uh, LinkedIn to half the industry, so it shouldn't be too hard to find you. Absolutely. Rob, thank you so much for coming and sharing. It's been uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Fraser. Take care.